we think about brands very differently. And that doesn't have to do with platform. It has to do with buyer psychology. It has to do with the problem, reaction, and solution a product will create in the minds of someone who's wanting to get the solution of the product because of the problem they've experienced. The reaction is leading them to find that solution. Are you ready to transform your life? This is a no-nonsense show helping immigrants like you create generational wealth, even while working full-time. Get ready to take notes. Here's your host, Socket Jane. My great to us listeners, if you want to manage real estate, maybe you're ready for a lifestyle change. By selling your real estate, of course, you may have to pay substantial cap and gain taxes. One option that may help solve this is to learn about doing a 1031 tax deferred real estate exchange. Because you may be able to defer all of the capital gain taxes, and you could even exchange into a replacement property that may allow you to get rid of all of the headaches involved with being an active landlord. Ray Dewitt is a managing director with Bangtanger Financial Services, and his goal is to help you understand all the rules associated with the 1031 exchanges. To learn more, visit their website at bangtangerfinancial.com and browse the library of education material. Please be sure to see the disclosures and show notes. Welcome back, my great to wealth listeners. Today, we got Neil Twa on the call. Neil, how are you, buddy? I'm good, man. Thanks for getting my name right. That's awesome. Most people want to spell it back to me and be like, hey, is it TWA? Is that like an MBA or a PhD? Or hey, you know, that's what you get, man. To grow up in India, you get to hear a lot of different names. <laughs> well, I didn't grow up in India that I know about. Maybe I did at some point. <laughs> Who knows, man? Who knows? You just kind of figure out there's a way of saying some of these things. But what is the origin of the last name? Well, it wasn't Indian. It was with transplants. My mom's side of the family came from the England. They were on one of the ships and settled Nantucket Island. On my dad's side, we tracked it back up through French Quebec, Canada. Great, great, great grandfather was a fur trader who came from Normandy. That's where we kind of, the trail got lost was Normandy, France, which in my own homeschooling endeavors with my children, as we studied history and have gone through that, we learned about the Vikings and Leif and Eric the Red and all those yeah. guys. Which out. That's the descendants of Normandy. So hence the blonde hair, blue-eyed, six-foot-five guy sitting in front of you. I'm partly... There you go, man. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you my height. That's good. I will keep a secret. (laughs) (laughs) What I am not, though, is a small Asian guy that I sometimes get mistaken for because the last name is T. I would tell you that when I saw your last name, Twa, I'm like, maybe he's from Asia. You surprised me when I I saw your picture on the phone. I'm like, wow, that's not the image I had. (laughs) Let it hold the vowels out a little bit longer and it'll suddenly become very, like, Japanese to you. Like, it's Twa. Like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Neil, so let's get going here, man. Again, thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. As our name comes to you, migrate to wealth. Let's start with what does wealth mean to you? Wealth to me, there's an acronym. Well, it's not really an acronym as much as a saying or a phrase. A lot of people who could appreciate this wealth is health. I mean, at the end of the day, the health of my family, my wife, myself, it really means a lot. I think we all kind of appreciate that at maybe a slightly different level over the last five years. But the medical conditions and stuff I've had to deal with my wife and children in the past, long before that, really when it got down to the wealth as a money or value or tool of anything financial really changed dramatically into what is health, what is wellness, because none of that other stuff matters. You can have all the money in the world and the doctors can't save you at the end of the day. And so really wealth to me is health and trueness. So we live it, we breathe it. We have a 1500 square foot heritage seed garden. We raise ducks and chickens organically. We eat. Wow, that's amazing. We live a holistic lifestyle for us. Wealth is health and maintenance of health overall. Let's have some conversation offline about it. I have a summit coming and there's Very a topic cool. that we're covering, which I think you may be a good fit for. Awesome. Yeah, we'll talk offline. Because we live it all the time. <laughs> there you go, man. So Neil, we'll talk about that offline here, but let's talk about 
your journey into it. I think you gave yeah. a little bit of glimpse into something happened, sure. some health event happened that kind of changed. Yeah. So let's actually take a few steps even before that. Okay. What did wealth mean to you before that event? Then we'll to the to the extent possible you can, we'll talk about Absolutely. that event. Because that seems to be a trigger point for how you view as wealth right now. Well, look, man, I did this. I, my parents were hardworking. My mom sort of stayed at home, but my dad was a blue collar worker. So I knew about that. But at the same time, wealth and money really just meant don't talk about it because it's disrespecting dad. If you need something or want something, don't bring up money because dad's yeah. doing what he can. So kind of a topic we didn't cover a lot in our house. But as I got older and learned how to mismanage money, it was very easy to figure out what to do with it or not to do with it correctly. Yeah. And so I ended up in the corporate world because I didn't know really what it meant to manage money and how to be a business owner or how to be an entrepreneur. So I get into business and sprint and then worked there for five years and did very well. I learned how to be a good corporate guy, a good yes man. But I struggled. I hated it. I gained 100 pounds. It was not the life yeah. I wanted. By the time IBM came in and said, hey, you know, you're doing a great job at sprint. Can we hire you? Which they did. They hired me out of there. If you can start the conversation around how do you view wealth now? So wealth to me has meant something very different now. Obviously, we talked about wealth and health and financially, it made something very different to me. I grew up in a blue collar house. It was very structured. Money was a thing we didn't say out of respect to dad. So we really didn't talk about money. So I had to learn about money the hard way, which meant I had to learn about debt and all the problems you deal with when yeah. you get into money when you don't understand how to manage it. Got into a job that was okay because I mean, that's how I knew to make money to some degree. And that's, that was you know maybe a long-term career, wealth building and 401k and all the standard stuff. When I went from Sprint to IBM, that was a great evolution. I'm thinking, okay, I'm making it. Now I'm going to make a lot more money. I'm going to be able to save more money. Eventually, you know, I may be retiring by 60, not 65, or like my dad and this kind of stuff. So I really thought that's the yeah. way to do things. But I always knew that there was something going on in the background. Like I have family that's entrepreneurial, but I just didn't know how to get it. And I didn't spend a whole lot of time with them as much as maybe I wanted to. And so I started to tap you know, my uncle on the shoulder more during the IBM days because I knew that this was just like the last thing I wanted to do for the rest of my life. What was the role your uncle playing at this point? Was he an well, entrepreneur already? Yeah, he was. You know, the whole rich dad, poor dad kind of thing, right? I kind of had my version of that going on, which was with my uncle because he was more entrepreneurial. When he got out of the military, he started a boat company in San Diego and set the land right. speed record on boats. But it's not a land speed record, but the over right. the ocean record on a sailboat from San Diego to Hawaii. So he was building these amazing boats and he built that up and eventually sold it. So he had that yeah. fire, that entrepreneurial spirit that I've never had a job kind of thing. And it was like, wow, you can actually yeah. I can see that it's tangible. I can witness it. And if he's doing it, why couldn't I? And so we had more conversations about that as we went on. And by just spending time with him in kind of a mentee situation, he gleaned off a lot of things to me. So as I realized, I went through the IBM years. He eventually died in an accident in an ultralight aircraft. In 2005, I left IBM in 2007. So two years after his death, I made the move. I, IBM basically said, hey, we're looking to get you out of here. And I said, you know what? This is not the life I want to live. This yeah. is not the person I want to be. I know this is not... I don't want to wait to retire and die after 11 right. years from retirement or whatever the average was. I'm like, this is not this is it. So I made the jump. And they said, hey, great. Here's your early retirement. I'm like, cool. I'm out. Perfect. So yeah. all the time. And now it was time to do wealth building as best as I knew how to do it at that point. Mm -hmm. It was time to go make the money because I knew I wasn't really going to get it done in the yeah. world. Let's take a quick pause there, Neil. So that's an interesting yep. shift there, right? So what took you this long? So you were at Sprint before, then from Sprint yep. you went to IBM. 
Correct. So I'm assuming you at least worked for a decade. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, a little more than 15 years. I was doing some consulting. 15 years. Right. What took mm-hmm. you 15 years to realize this is not the life you want? Like what happened? Something must be going on at that time, which made you yeah. go talk to your uncle because my uncle was your uncle for a long time. So it's not like you just found your uncle. He, nope. You knew about him for a long time. What took you That's 15 right. years? I think it was just the, I'm going to say it in the, maybe the wrong way, but the courage to actually get outside of my sphere and to yeah. be willing to risk something, risk it all. And in the yeah. process of a failed divorce that was happening at that point, risk seemed a lot less to me and became a lot in the years in IBM in which that was occurring. And I was moving out of that personal change was basically changing me fundamentally as well. Got it. So and you had something personally going on with your life as well. Well, that's, 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 that's mostly how everybody changes, right? Something dramatic yeah. or concern happens, and now you're willing to change. Well, I would right. like to say that I'm not right. you know, the average kind of situation I am. So it had to have yeah. something really dramatic in my life to affect right. it. And once right. it did, right. it took me a few years to make that complete change to the realization this is not what I wanted. This is everything is moving differently. And I started seeing myself differently and working out and going yeah. bike riding and running and like starting to just work on me a lot from that change and that breaking the confidence of my person down, which mm-hmm. happened dramatically and having to rebuild that person into something new. Isn't that so amazing, Neil? I'm pretty sure you being in that situation, most of us have had that personal moment where it was a defining moment oh, and yeah. you could either break down and go depressed or you take that moment and take charge of fight it or flight. and fight or flight. You never know Completely. who you really are until you're put in a situation or whether you yeah. run or you fight. But and that's also the saddest part of being human that there's so many people <laughs> who are suffering around us, but until the suffering happens to you, you don't realize that. That's uh, always easier to pick on someone else, though, isn't it? It is, it's isn't it? Yeah. It always And people it's want to crazy. tell us about it, but we don't want to listen. And right. people told me right. things that would later come into my mind and come out of that subconscious and unconscious and recognizing the things that they were saying and how it tied to it. And they meant well, but you know when you're in that struggle and that fight for yourself and your life, Correct. you don't hear those things, right? When the sadness yeah. overtakes you and the melancholy and it kicks you in the butt and you're trying to figure out how to just get out of bed and work the next day, you don't hear anything with the voices in your head. You don't hear the echo chamber outside of it. It's just yeah. a noise just constantly yelling in your head until you can find ways to shut that down and tune it out, Correct. Um, which is difficult. Right. I found physical exercise and pushing myself to limits that I'd never reached before by, by getting to a place where I'd been never been before 320 pounds. I knew I had to push myself back. And so I just fought that. And in that process, things started to quiet down because now Good I was for you, man. Good for you. So I think myself. part of that is your, your yeah. identity changed. Your relationship with it yourself did. changed. It right? did. The and that's when I you thought really was, thought that whatever yep. was going on in your world, which was told right. a reality to you, it's not really the reality. No, it was um, what I created as my reality, but it didn't correct. have to be my reality. At that point, I wouldn't like to say that I was a victim. Mm-hmm. Because I would like to say that I was being victimized. And if right. I were to explain the story, you would say, well, maybe you could be a victim. But in actuality, that was just the wrong mindset. Correct. Right? Correct. I chose to eventually work past that. That's amazing. Let's take the journey forward. So now you yep. made the call to basically take an early retirement from IBM. Correct. Now you're trying to figure out what to do. How did you figure out what to do next at that point? Well, I mean, I had done management consulting. So Mm -hmm. that became something that I said, well, I can sell myself into my skills and knowledge. Let me see if I can start with that first. So what I didn't understand about wealth building was I was still trading time for money. I had a nicer bit of money coming in, but it was still an hourly and I was still trading time for money. It's just money was nicer at that point. You don't always see it, but it's an opportunity to get into some management consulting and start selling my services out and that kind of stuff. And as it turned out, you know, I was able to get some contracts and get money going relatively fast. 
which was good because at that point we had been, I'd known in February, I was going to leave 2007. We got married in 2007. I got out of IBM in 2007, June. Wow. Uh, we were pregnant with our first baby in September of 2000. Awesome, man. Lots of changes. Yeah, then my wife went on bed rest and we were all out of income by the end of the year. So at that point, it was basically zeroed out. You know, the whole adage, when is it a good time to start a business? It's pretty much never. Never. You just yeah. have to go. You just have to go because you never know what's on the other side of that. And if I had known that and I'd let the fears take over, and I you wouldn't have started it. In the next you year, would not I have started it. Done it. Yeah. No, no, the fear would have overtaken me. So we just had to walk that. And so I started to learn more about myself at that point. It's like, where am I as a person? What do I want? In other words, what is the financial need or situation that I want to change and what am I willing to fight for? So that, as the Emoth book says, do anything for three to five years and no one else is willing to do so you can live like no one else right. for the rest of your life. And right. that just resonated. Right. I'm like, I'm in the fight. I'm not going to give this up, right? I know I got time to do this and I'll make it work somehow. So we sold our house and we moved to a cheaper one. We got rid of the cars. We made a concise move to take advantage of this opportunity. My wife backed me. Because of her medical condition, she couldn't go to work anyways. And as the baby came and stuff, she's just like, I can't give this baby up. Like, I can't right. do that. And I'm like, okay, then we're going to do this together. So she stayed home and I stayed in the fight. And I hired another management consultant and another one. And IBM came back six months, eight months after that and said, hey, the projects you were on are falling apart. Can you come back? And I said, sure. How about 250 an hour? And they're like, sold. Yeah. We can be here. So I hired three more consultants at that point. And by 2010, I had 10 management consultants working in my... Uh, That's awesome, man. That is amazing. Do you still do that? Or have you... We do the management it? consulting part, but no, I actually turned that down because we became more lucrative with the online marketing component. So yeah. back in the day, I played a little bit with it. I kind of slurred over this, but I have a company called Killer Game Servers where we were basically building the voice codecs for multiplayer online gaming before it was built into the game. Nice. And I had about 20 servers running in the field. We had about 20,000 people on their listening and talking to each other like this, playing video games because they weren't all incorporated at that point. Correct. So I had that bug in my ear and I always knew that I wanted to figure out more at that point. I was doing a lot of online multiplayer gaming to build up the reputation and sell the business. So I was still learning internet marketing. And so I started a lot more into that and found out that mobile lead generation marketing, I was actually really good at buying and selling data and arbitraging affiliate products, physical products, mm-hmm. digital products, dating offers. I was getting really good at it. When I started breaking $1,000 a day in profit, I got the attention of quite a few people based on what I was doing. And guy comes in real quick and says, hey, you know what? You should look at the physical products. If you're doing all of this, why don't you keep mm-hmm. the product on the other side too? And I was yeah. just that moment of realization like that was the next step. And he said, hey, by the way, if you want to check out Amazon, you should. They just bought this company. It's a logistics LTL company, and they rebranded it, and they called it FBA, Fulfilled by Amazon. Right. And they're launching into some market. They're letting third-party people come on and use that platform to deliver their products. And I thought, okay, great. If I don't have to play with the product and logistics, but I have Correct. That's like additional product for you at that point. Yeah. yeah. And how do I figure out the physical products? Well, that was yeah. something I struggled with. So a friend of mine introduced me to a man named Reed Larson, who is a operational logistics finance, speaks two languages, and the yeah. guy who's been nothing but operations financial management his entire life. And he said, oh, I can do the physical products. And I'm like, cool. And leave me to the like marketing and brand building and other stuff. (laughs) And two heads became one. And in 2011 and 12, we started to launch products and then started launching brands. And from there, it went like crazy. That is awesome, Neil. Wow, man. What an amazing journey. That's all started with that one decision of taking ownership of your own life and redefining your own identity. That's amazing. Flight or fight, I'm assuming, and I'm glad you picked fight. Let's actually talk about one moment, right? So there was a moment that you described where you were going to have your first child, your wife was going through some health issues, 
you were launching a new business. So there was a lot going on that could have made you pause. Let me just go find another job. It's a very easy thought because you knew you could always find another job because you already had found two jobs before or maybe more than that. So that was, did that thought ever cross you? And if it did, how did you overcome that? So in full transparency, I did try to go get a consulting job. And at that point, for whatever reason, I was unhirable. That's perfect then. That's great. It turned out to be just fine. Is it worked through in the process of trying to be hired somewhere? The gigs and opportunities to go consult came in instead. So it was Mm. almost like in my world, because I have a faith, I don't believe in randomness and coincidences. It was like, hey, this is the path you should be taking. Like, ah, you know, the path open. It was that moment. I'd see it now. When I was in the fight, I didn't really understand what it meant. Of course. But it was just like being pushed that direction. Like, go this way. Got it. And nothing else this way was working. And it was like, I could have kept pushing that way. I could have kept going after the jobs and keep putting out the resumes and sticking that fight if I wanted to. But it just said it, too much obvious road signs. Like I need. That was not going to work. Yeah. Nope, it was just like go this way. So I did. Got it. I followed the inclination, the whisper on the wind, and it took me the other direction. I'm glad you listened to the whisper, man. A lot of people ignore the whisper, yeah. right? We um, got to drown out the noise in our head to hear it. And at that yeah. moment, I was being willing to be quiet enough to actually listen. That's an amazing. There's something else that would have made you believe in that, man. Because I think you're getting pushed in multiple directions and pushed down. Yes. Because I got laid off in 2018, 2016, and I remember the feeling when you're, you keep trying to find a job and something is not working. And there's a reason why that something is not working, but you're not thinking about the reason at that time. That's right. At that time, you're thinking, what is wrong with me? You are. Yeah, you are. And you see like, well, these conversations with hiring manager or the person who's supposed to let me interview or whatever is, is going great and you feel really good about it. But yeah. what I didn't understand and I do understand now is that energies our frequencies and vibration is very important or right. there's a natural energy there's a resonation i feel it with you on this call we're operating at a, at a very different frequency level and when you are Definitely. talking and speaking and having that conversation level with someone you know that in 30 seconds or less are you on the same frequency are you in the same life place right. are you in the same Correct. resonance Correct. With them? and i was simply resonating the wrong frequencies continuously i was putting out mm. the wrong energy and i know it sounds like pseudoscience and a little bit of wonky stuff but i believe in that man but I believe in what we speak changes things positively. I believe when you say positive yeah. things to people and to your children and you speak positively in the world, you're building up positive frequencies and energy. And they've actually proven this scientifically with plants and mouses and, and yeah. animals and other things, how they react to negative energy and positive energy being spoken at them. If you've ever seen right. those, go check it out. It's very powerful to go watch that. And I just wanted to speak that out and I realized I was not talking the right language. If that's okay, for a few minutes, let's stay with that for a second here. It was because you were in a different negative state of mind. Because when you're not your solo bread earner, you have a child coming in, you have a wife who has a health condition, and you're not making any money. Your whole state, your whole being could be a very negative being. I can only imagine. I only had one issue. I don't have a job. My wife wasn't working at that time, so I can relate to that. But there was no sickness in the family and we had some savings and all that stuff, right? But of course, healthcare in this country is insane. So yep. you have to start thinking about what it was going to be the next step. So it was extremely the expensive. negative frequency that we're talking about right now, yep. was that because you were not in the right state of mind? Or was it because of something else that you believe that this path was not yours? So there, where I'm going with this is, what if you were in the positive state of mind? What if? Could you have found a job and could your path been very different? Or at this point, you believe that 
the universe would have pushed you not to get a job. What was yeah, your, how do you, that. when you think about that? Yeah, well, I was asked a question on a podcast not too long ago, and it's kind of the one, I think it's a little generic, we've heard it before, but if you could go back in time and tell your 18-year-old self something yeah. you know now, what would you go back and share with them? Right. And my answer was very simple. It was, <laughs> don't change a single thing about what's going to happen in the next 10 or 20 years. You're going to love how this whole thing ends. Right. You're going to love it. Don't change a single thing. Love it. So I knew that I was on the right path. I also That's knew later on that I was not in the right frame of mind to take advantage of the path that I was going on. And that was part yeah. of the process of going on that path. Through that time, there were going to be additional things that happened with my wife and baby and the significance of where I was told to be put and what I was supposed to be doing in that time, which ironically wasn't about the finances of my house. It was about mm. the integrity of my life and my family. That's what was the critical thing. I had to be dad. I had to be mom. I had to be a lot of things to the house at that point. That's where I was supposed to be. And when I fully accepted that, that's when some amazing things started to change. That's amazing, man. Neil, there's, I'm feeling something very powerful on your side. So that's amazing, man. This is true conversation, heartfelt conversation. So thank (laughs) you for being open, man. Appreciate it. Well, so many people struggle with these things and they're afraid to say it because they feel like it's a weakness. I think the weakness was the moment I was not willing to admit it. As Jim Collins says in Good to Great, I wasn't willing to look at the rock and see the ugly things underneath that. I just wanted to keep the rock down and I wanted to keep. But as I kept walking the path, I kept stumbling over the rock. And I keep stumbling over the same rock and the same rock and the same rock. And I see so many people get up every week or month and just keep stumbling over the same rock, same rock. Almost expecting as though the rock is going to somehow move out of the path, yet they're on the same path all the time. And I had to stop and pick that rock up. And once I looked at it and I faced it head on and I knew what I needed to deal with, the question came to the mind, what's the worst that can happen? You're not dead yet. And you believe in an eternal faith. So don't worry about that anyways. Things that are happening in your life right now have to happen for a reason. So you're going to have to walk them. So now you need to face them and you need to stop ignoring them. And when I came through that, that's when things started to change. Conversation changed, the confidence changed, the purpose changed. I started to recognize that the lifestyle was more important than the business. The way that I showed up for my family, the way that I was involved, the way I knew that in my heart, I was going to be with my children and my wife. And we were going to do life very differently because I was no longer going to accept the way that I had done things in the past and the way the world was affecting me. That was when I knew where the fight was. That's when I knew what the challenges were. And that's when I knew how to actually work against it. Can you go back in there in my head and think about the exact moment when you were able to turn that rock? So in the middle of that success, I got too involved in an oil and gas deal in, and I put too much money too far in. And when I mm. got too far down, I discovered one day that the books were being double tapped. The SEC investor. Oh, we were just talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. So that was also in that same process after our second child came in that time frame, And I was fighting my way back out of all of that stuff. Mm. I got blindsided to a degree <clears throat> by some investor friends who were putting money into a business I was a part of. I helped put a lot of money into it in time and energy got too far leveraged in and the lawyer basically said declaring bankruptcy to indemnify yourself against the legalities of what they've done with the money is the only way out. Mm. So I was able to get them to indemnify me and I walked out. The only problem was I had to declare bankruptcy. So you asked, what was that moment? And the moment was sitting with a pregnant wife at the bottom of the courthouse in Tulsa with 20 other people who were going in front of a room of 20 judges lined up with 20 tables. Doesn't look like a courtroom like you think it does. It was a judge at each table, a plastic table, and we sat out in front of this judge. And the defining moment is when he looked at us and he looked at our paperwork. And in the moment he had that ability and power, he stroked all of our debt away in one moment. He just wiped Mm -hmm. it clean. He had the power to do that. He said, I looked at it. I looked at you. I see the situation. 
he read our energy, he read our situation in a few minutes and stroked away the debt and said, here you go. Don't do this again. And that wow, was man. super changing. You know, that is powerful, man. That is powerful. Well, it was a huge defining moment because we walked out of that <laughs> completely dumbfounded and it was extremely embarrassing and it was extremely taxing on my pregnant wife and it was just not a fun time for anybody, frankly. And, yeah. and so for him to do that was just that like shining light in the moment. Like we were just dumbfounded. We felt like we won the lottery. Like you just like this moment, like you can't believe that just happened. Like how did he do right. that? Did he actually do that. And he actually did that. And so how do you recover from that? This story is, you got to write a book on it if you haven't already, because this is, this no, is getting no interesting and interesting. I know living that life would have not been easy at that time, but yep. when you reflect back, there's so much to unpack, man. There's What's so the much. What's the worst that could happen? This is the question that kept that. coming up over I and over again. What's that. the worst that could happen? Well, at this so point, living. we could still yeah. fight. We weren't done. Like my wife was in my <laughs> corner. We were doing this thing together. It wasn't perfect. It certainly wasn't great. And it wasn't the worst thing at that point because we were dealing with some of the health issues and stuff. Right. And so it was like, okay, now what am I going to do? Well, I know how to make money doing mm-hmm. mobile media advertising and doing online advertising. So I'm going back to that. And we had to, to move again and we had to get you know our expenses way down and ended up working on a little PCS mobile device that had like one megabit connection. And so I wow. started running mobile ad campaigns as fast as I could upload them on this really terrible internet connection in the middle of nowhere on a Wi-Fi connection or a MiFi connection with the hotspots. Yeah. I, and I just those. started playing with that dude. And I just kept pounding and pounding at those campaigns until some of them started to take off again. I was about 300 campaigns in before the real resident campaigns took off. And I was borrowing from Peter to pay Paul at that moment because I knew I could right. make the money. So I was stacking it to get that out there. And all of a sudden they took off and I'm like, yay, they're all wow. again. <laughs> wow, man. I wasn't expecting this conversation to go this direction, but thank you for being so... Why I think this conversation is so important to earlier point you made earlier was a lot of people are in that situation. Now, their struggles may be very different when you look at the exact thing happening in their life. could be right. very different, but they're in the same mental state. They're, they feel stuck. They feel no matter what they're doing, it's not moving forward. Like I have a very good yeah. friend who was telling me, I wish that company can just lay me off so I can start my business. I'm like, why do you wish that they would lay you off when you already want to start your company? It's a victimization. I get it. I wanted to play a victim for a while too. It's like, well, then I can blame the company. Then I can blame the company if it doesn't work out. right? We'll try to lift you up and say, yeah, now this is your moment because the bad company did this to you. Whereas the other mindset would say, I'm empowering myself to quit and go take advantage. But the problem is when you do that, who's the first people to line up and say, well, that was a dumb move. Oh, family, family friends, man. Friends, you know, I just left Airbnb. I was there five years. Last December was my last day there. And everyone's been telling me, even then, it's like, you're crazy, socket. People died yeah, at Airbnb. Yeah, the first one to line like, you on the head. Absolutely. Like, and then, of course, right now, they're all saying, oh, we knew you would be fine. I'm like, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, I closed that door a while ago. <laughs> no, but that, that's, yeah, that is it. And it's a different walk. And whether you're going through the divorce or whether you're looking to get out of the business or whether you're going to have a moment where you've got to change jobs or do something different or you've got financial issues or you're even staring down a bankruptcy. Look, man, I've been through all of those things. And the end result is there is always something better on the other side of failure. You just have to be willing to take the failure, own it, take responsibility for the pros and the cons of it, get up and keep moving, right? And my life lesson has been nothing but a series of get up and keep moving. And so when I found Amazon and I found physical products and I found this virtual real estate opportunity, which was to plant brands out across the virtual real estate space of interwebs and start launching these things. And I found my niche. I found my home. I found my place, which is e-commerce. I can yeah. play the business. I can play the ADHD entrepreneur. I can 
develop and create new things and launch new brands and take physical right. products. And I'm providing a value and a solution to people. And there's a lot of fulfillment in that. And I've been able to help at least 50 people reach millionaire status over the last decade. That's well, amazing. Fulfillment and giving back and time and energy and speaking to people through their lives and helping yeah. them become independent of the system and create their own lifestyle. And that's where I feel blessed every day that's to do amazing. a business. I get to look up and be like, man, this is what I get paid to do. This is pretty crazy. That's amazing. So Neil, let's shift gears here from your personal sure. story to your business journey, right? So you're of course yeah. launching tons of brands, right? Yep. Now, when I look at brands is a proxy to innovation as well. You may be selling yeah. the same exact thing. When people look at innovation, they're looking at Google or the Amazon or these. That's one level of innovation. But right. when you're taking anything and putting a different wrapper on it and different value proposition on it, that's also innovation. When you're looking at brands to help them be more successful on e-commerce, how are you choosing how they're innovating? Are you innovating yeah. for them? What is your role? How do you look at innovation from complete branding and marketing perspective? I know what it means to do that. I have a patent and wireline technology patents and communication awesome. patents, and I'm a part of that. My partner has a patent too. We've both gone through that route. What we discovered though is based on cost and time and intent, we're not Elon Musk. So the best opportunity we have is innovation. The innovation yeah. in the market and creation, innovation and changing. So we right. learned innovation over invention. And that's where physical products and brand building really take an opportunity to grow. So products themselves do not really make the business. I know that doesn't sound right, but let me explain what I mean by that. You can get a product online from zero to 100K. Like mm -hmm. that can be done, and but it's hard to repeat if you don't know what you're doing. And if you don't systematize it or understand that process, you can't go from 100 to a million or 5 million right. or 10 million. So this is where a lot of people struggle. And how do you do that? It's branding. Branding is where the real money is made. So if I ask you to tell me about a favorite band you have, and how many albums or how many songs of there you like versus a one-hit wonder, mm -hmm. you could probably name one in each category. Yeah. Right? So most people think of e-commerce like a one-hit wonder, and they don't really think about it like a band. Like, how can I create mm -hmm. multiple versions of this? Find a pattern of music or type or genre or niche that is strong and repeatable and maybe what we call blue sky or evergreen, and then continue to develop albums into my yeah. physical products that create an overarching brand, you know, that create Aerosmith, right? That has this long history. And so we think about brands very differently. We think about a multi-product approach. And that doesn't have to do with platform. It has to do with the fire psychology. It has to do with the problem, reaction, and solution a product will create in the minds of someone who's wanting to get the solution of the product because of the problem they've experienced. Mm -hmm. And the reaction is leading them to find that solution. And when we think about it from that perspective, products kind of appear everywhere. Like white right. cars, they just start showing up everywhere. Yeah. And you find out there's just more than enough to do. And with slight innovations, you can go from grandma's crock pot, okay, to the Instapot, which is basically not your grandma's crock pot, right. and to now the air fryer, Correct. which are not like holistically, you know, unique patentable items yeah. or patented variations of utilities on them. But in essence, they're the same thing. But they provided slightly different service to the same avatar. Correct. And so as you start to define who this person is, and you can start to speak who they are and then speak backwards into what kind of products may provide solutions in their life, like a homeschool mom or a working mom or a lady who loves to cook or someone who loves to crochet or whatever. Then you start looking for products that find solutions and you change your perspective into a brand and not just the product. Mm -hmm. And then branding is literally where the money's at. Because at that point, so you're getting organic growth, organic branding. People are talking about you. They're looking for yeah. you. They're searching for you. They want more of you. Right. They want more of what you've got to solve. Right. 
Correct. If you're thinking forward to all the other areas of solutions in their life, then you give them all the other variation types and shapes and sizes mm-hmm. of those products and that match up with where they're headed. And then they continue to buy from you for years to years. And that's where it creates cash flow. Right. Right. And sanity is in the profit, of course. And revenue is really who gets care about revenues. Let's talk about more about that, Neil, because I think branding the term marketing has a very negative connotation. Yeah, and can. it's yeah. predominantly folks who kind of like the used car salesman, right? right. They have basically bottom line, goods. <laughs> bottom line goods, right? They basically yeah, yeah. scrape everyone else's. When people think of salesperson, if you have somebody has ever had a used car salesman experience, that's how they think about sales. And Correct. from the way right. marketing is, marketing and branding is all about spin, right? So let's talk about authentic brand building. Let's talk about yeah. authentic yeah. marketing because that's Absolutely. where I think the switch is, where people like you outshine because you're not building brands to manipulate people. You're building brands and marketing campaigns around making sure that a product that you're building brand around is going to help somebody, not that you're going to force somebody into a solution that they don't necessarily want. Correct. What is authentic brand building? What is authentic marketing? If you ever had a toothache, like if you ever mm-hmm. woke up with a big yeah, definitely. cavity or so if you call a doctor up and you're like, Hey, Mr. Dentist, I got this super pain. I need to get in. And then he basically tells you, great, I've got this $200 solution. And it's going to take me two hours to do it. You may be like, what's my better option? I can't really wait another two hours. Well, right. I can do that in like an hour for $500. Would that work sure. for you? Cause I have this other special thing. So the solution to the pain point is going to change the perspective and value of that person, that brand and the solution they're creating. They fix your problem in an hour. You pay the $500 and you have no more pain. All of a sudden, your perception of them and the value they have just went through the roof. Mm -hmm. So the next time you've got a problem, you're going to call them up because you know they're going to solve it, right? Now, you may have gone in for the $200 two-hour procedure and came out still hurting and two weeks later had to go back and spend another $200 or $300 or $400 to fix the same problem that wasn't fixed two weeks ago. So people don't always think about the value of the solution now. They sometimes think of the value of it in terms of only the cost, not the output. Yeah. And so the way to position products and take your avatar through that is to really look at the kind of products that provide that solution that aren't just going to hit an avatar of people wherever they lie, Shopify, Amazon, or et cetera. They provide the solution now that doesn't have to kick rocks down the road to something later. And therefore, something that might cost 49 at this point, they can look at the $99 one and say, that one might actually solve it for good. Right, and there's right. where we start to position our products and brandings to elevate them into the solution-oriented tier. Now, we incubate our products on Amazon first because there's 150 million buyers and it's chugging mm-hmm. around 650 plus million a day. So we know there are people whose intent is to buy. They're there. Right. And Amazon's own metrics in 30 seconds or less. So yeah. they've had that conversation, that audience, that valuation, that talk with their sister or brother or cousin. Hey, what'd you get? What kind of product was this? What problem did you solve? And by the time they get to Amazon, they're looking to solve that product. They're not always review driven and they're not always price driven. They can be solution driven. So we sell to $150 in retail price point for products that are brand driven. Products where we know people are going to be a little more brand heavy. It's the same analogy between if I ask you about Android versus iPhone and which one are you more passionate about, I can start fighting like two seconds, right? Yeah. Put that one on your Facebook media and watch what happens in the comments, <laughs> right? People flip out. Like you start yeah. talking about how the Android people are all like Neanderthals because they don't know how to, yeah. to run an iPhone. Yeah, then you take the iPhone people and you'll be like, well, I mean, you'd still drive a gas car. You don't drive a Tesla. Like you can piss yeah. them off too, right? Yeah. So when you think about the levels of perception and value in the product and the brand, it's not that hard to figure out, is it? 
No. You just have to stop and think about how you perceive products and how products perceived in your world of value and start looking at the things you have. If you're a runner, you probably have two pairs or at least three pairs of shoes you've gone through that are a specific brand or type. Because once you figured out which ones they were, you keep buying the same ones right. over and over again. Right. Right. If you like the Honda because it went 400,000 miles, you're more than likely to get another Honda. So people will look at the products the same way once they're emotionally invested in the solution and the outcome. So it's really not rocket science. It's just stopping to think more as a seller of product mm-hmm. to an avatar and less like I am the avatar of the buyer. Right. Start thinking about someone else instead. Yeah. So you said also something very important, which I want to reflect back on, right? You said sure, that sure. branding what makes a business work. And I don't know you what exact words you use, but that's what I heard. I'm going to say it in my words. So if you didn't say these exact okay. words, pardon me. But the way I heard was that the product really doesn't make a product, doesn't make a company. Nope. Like a product is a product is a product. And how many times you have heard saying, oh, this guy stole my idea because I had the same idea three years ago, right? <laughs> Those uh, are the one-hit wonders, yep. Yeah, exactly. When I'm like, yeah, I know you've taught, and I have a friend who's like, I told you only if you listen to my ideas. I'm like, I can't listen to ideas because you're always thinking about ideas. You don't want to do anything about the idea, right? So yeah, you have excellent ideas, but that doesn't mean anything. That's a starting point, but may not mean anything. That's right. So when you said brands build the businesses, Correct. there are so many brands, so many products that don't necessarily have a brand, right? So when we say brands are making a business, how are you qualifying that statement? Help me understand that statement a little bit better because... Branding is expensive, could be, depending upon how you're using it, what distribution channels you're using to push your message. So it could end up being very expensive. And especially if you're not good at copywriting, and if you start hiring somebody and start outsourcing, that could get expensive. So what does that mean that brands build a business? Well, sure. If you might direct to consumer friends in the paid media, Shopify world would argue it's about the audience conversation you need to have with that person and whether or not they'll click on your ad and buy your product, convert yeah. to your store and, and become a customer, which you then have the opportunity to email or SMS market them or send them postcards or whatever to bring them back. Right. And our side to start the brand is leveraging similarity and familiarity and the trust network that is Amazon. So I can bring Got up it. a brand in 10 minutes that no one's ever heard of. And I can put it on Amazon and leverage all of their billions of dollars of sales, purchase data and analytics and customer avatars right into their brand. And because of that, many times people won't even initially know what my product is until they buy the product and get it in the packaging. They may think it's coming from Amazon. Now people get a little bit more savvy about this nowadays. They're figuring it out as they have years going on since I got started. But there's still a lot of trust and verification to that brand that is leveraged through Amazon. And as long as I'm creating a great innovative product that I can actually brand register, that I can actually trademark, and if necessary, take it far enough to go to a utility patent, then I am not creating what we call a me too product. I'm not creating a same as product. I'm creating an innovative variation of that product that says, well, instead of 49, this one's worth 79 or 99. And here's why, because it matches up with these four unique things that are different about this product than the one you may have considered buying in the market already. Got it. And then I continue to innovate those products into that brand with different size, shape, variations, accessories, gear, complimentary items that continue forward with that product base. For example, like a bike, I may sell the bike seat and then I'm going to sell the pedals. Maybe I'll sell the whole bike itself. I sell the headlamp. I sell the gear and mm. the mirrors and the packs and the water bottles and the upgrades and the suspension and blah, 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 right. blah. I continue to bring that brand base of product skew forward. Because the truth is in any brand and portfolio, 80% of your sales come from 20% of your SKU. Of course. That's why Walmart, yeah. each store has around 250,000 SKUs, but only 20% of them sell. 
So right. we know that we are not smart enough to tell the market what it wants. So we have to take the data from the market and help it drive us down to which direction, which data point. There's a lot of analytic driven aspect in everything we do. We're not making yeah. any emotional decisions about it. The person who's buying it can be emotional about it. In fact, that's what we want. We want them to be passionate. Of course. The fuzzy yeah. bunny slippers to grandma if she's passionate about fuzzy bunny slippers. I'm passionate that she's happy and I'm passionate about the business that's making that happen for her. Right. But I don't right. have to be passionate. And I think people get caught up in the idea the product is passion. I'm actually passionate about the data. I'm passionate about the systems and the processes of the business. And I'm very happy to provide a great solution of a product that she's extremely happy with. Yeah. Right? So she leaves me a positive feedback and that whole circle continues on. And so, every product I put in front of her should continue that same emotional run. Yeah. And the last real point on that business side for your brain was that Amazon's prime members around 200 million spend about $1,000 a year on average. It's probably a little yeah. bit more now. And I'm tapping into that as my business metrics. When I create a portfolio, right, I either sell a one-time $1,000 product mm-hmm. or I have to sell a couple of two $500 products or so on and so on, or I have to sell right. them additional products to the value of 12 months and $1,000 spent with me instead of mm-hmm. some other brand in the marketplace. And that brand and organic growth is what leads to the opportunity of scalability. If that's okay, I'm thinking of one thing, right? Because a lot of my audience is in that situation where they may be looking at starting their own businesses selling yep. their products and, you know, FBA, you mentioned FBA. FBA is Correct. a very common way to have people launch themselves into passive investment opportunities. And that eventually becomes their main line of business, depending upon how they launch the brand and everything else, right? Yep. So when somebody is looking at that, what's important is the, it's a chicken or the egg. I think I know your answer. Hmm. Is the product important or the need important, right? In, Let me go find a product. <laughs> what was that? Well, I get where you're going with this. And so the question I would have is, when is the product important? I like that twist. I actually like that twist. The product may have a role to play, but when did you introduce the product? So if I'm initially going to market in a world of e-com, and I'm going to put my wares out into the marketplace Mm -hmm. and draw customers' attention in to look, click, add to cart, and buy, do they even have the product yet? Yeah. Right. So I don't care about the product yet. You don't. What do I care about? The data. You're kidding about the data. Do people actually care about what you're trying to sell? No, not yet, because they haven't got the product. They haven't gotten the product yet. Yeah, you're right. They haven't got the product yet. So I'm all on the data side. So everybody who Mm. talks product on this side is too focused on the wrong business metrics and the wrong problem solving. So if I Mm. know that there's a product that can solve a problem or solution and all the numbers match up correctly from the very beginning, then what problem am I actually solving and when am I solving it? I'm solving the problem of the right data at the right time in a natural language, artificial intelligence machine called Amazon.com that will not allow me sales, traffic, impressions, clicks, or purchases unless my data is better than the competition. At that point, the product doesn't even matter. God, Neil, we got to do a master one-on-one class, man, with you at some point. Yeah, There's so I do much know, to learn. Live events, and I break this, this down. I break five topics down that go through each of these things, like what yeah. the hell to sell and when to sell it and what do the keyword research and the system. Now, this is amazing because I think events. this is very powerful and it also, it helps you to look at the world differently. Right? I'm always after, it makes you think at world from problem solver's perspective of what's happening in the world. Yep. And you as a person will change through the process because now you start looking at world, where is the problem I can solve and how That's can right. I solve it the best? But we have limited time and yep. I want to be respectful of that time. Worries, worries, so worries. we're coming towards the end of our show. One question that we always ask, you already told the answer. 
which is okay. what would you tell your 18 year old self which is yeah, did you <laughs> let's repeat that let's repeat that answer <laughs> uh, it's really simple do not change the thing that's about to happen to you because you're going to love how this turns love out love that love that love that second question matt yep. i know i get the vibe from you that you've actually thought about these things a lot more than a lot of people is where do you feel humanity as a whole should migrate towards yeah. In simple terms, there's a phrase that always comes to mind when I think of these things. And it is, if we were to do unto others as we do unto ourselves, yeah. if we were to put others ahead of ourselves first, we would put love, true love ahead of the interest of others. And when we do that, we would actually gain so much more. It's the old, you get more from giving than you do getting. And I think our culture at this point is all about what it gets, not what we're giving. And we're giving a lot of the things we think we need. And we're telling a lot of other people what we think they need. But it's not really what they need at the end of the day. What they need no. to know is that there's a safe and a caring place that is love and that there's opportunity for everyone to be truly loved. And I think we're missing that in its true form because we're just thinking a lot about ourselves right now. God, Neil, on that heavy and high note, which I wholeheartedly agree with, and we could talk about that for another 40 minutes and still won't yep. be enough. I really appreciate you having on this show, man. Thank you again for taking the time and sharing your insights. Neil, if somebody, I'm sure you have intrigued a lot of people to get in touch with you. Where can they find you? You can go to Voltage DM, VoltageDigitalMedia.com. There's a podcast on there. There's media. I run a podcast called the High Voltage Business Builders, which is also on mm -hmm. Apple. You can check that out. You can find me on any of the social media networks. And as I've, we said earlier, I have a very short last name and I don't hide on the internet okay. very easily. So you can just right. Google me or Brave Search me or whatever search engine you yeah. choose and I will pop up there and you're welcome connect with me. That's awesome, man. I would have been very surprised if your brand wasn't there being a brand guy. I'm no sure that is there. <laughs> <laughs> it's all over it, my man. All over it. Awesome. Well, thank you, Neil, for your time, buddy. We'll have you back on the show. Thank you. I'm an honor. If you got value from this episode, you might consider sharing this content with a friend. But most importantly, be sure to take action on what you've learned. One way you can take the next step is to connect directly with Socket on an investor call. That link is waiting for you in the show notes below. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Please consult your own advisors when making any investment decisions. Keep listening. We'll see you on the next episode.